welcome to the Free Cities podcast. My name is Timothy Allen, and this is the official podcast of the Free Cities Foundation. Hello, and welcome to episode number 28 of the Free Cities podcast. This week, I'm back in Warsaw, and I'm having a conversation with a Polish gentleman by the name of Marek Tatala. Now, Marek is the VP of the Economic Freedom Foundation, which is a Polish grant-giving organization in a similar vein to Atlas Network. Alongside funding relevant projects, they also work on advocacy and political lobbying, believing in any way that bridges can be built to help integrate free market and classical liberal ideals into general society. Our discussion revolves around the work of the Foundation and we touch upon many related subjects including the decentralization of nation-states, Polish political trends, global free market success stories and whether or not membership to the EU is a net benefit or not. Anyway, I hope you enjoy our conversation. Next week, I'll be diving into a series of conversations I had in the Montelibro community in Montenegro. So look out for those. And in the meantime, just sit back as always and relax and enjoy my conversation with Marek Tatala. start though what was the history of this building this do you know much about it is it um it's a very lovely old building we're in here it's definitely pre-second world war so it's it was not destroyed during the war i guess it's uh, it survived as some other buildings on the street uh and now it's uh, privately owned by irish investor i think so but we're in the district here where you get embassies and things like that is that right i just noticed when we got out the cab here it's uh it's one it seems like we're it's my first time to warsaw so um i'm trying to get my bearings a little bit uh we are at the same street as polish parliament if you walk 200 meters uh forward from our office there is a polish parliament uh there and uh, also there is headquarter of the biggest opposition party uh, next door on the other side uh, of the street so this is very political street right well that might be a good segue into um, what you're doing then because um, can you just explain to me you're the uh, the VP of the Economic Freedom Foundation is that right yes what is the Economic Freedom Foundation first it's the new foundation created in 2021. Uh, in the past, I worked in a think tank called Civil Development Forum, created by Leszek Balcerowicz, very famous Polish reformer. Uh, and then I moved to Economic Freedom Foundation. Actually, the, the founder of this organization, Arkadiusz Muś, who is a successful entrepreneur, was look, he was looking for the CEO of his new organization, which is this foundation. And, uh, and I decided to, to take this job. We are a hub for other groups in Poland. So we are grant giving organization, people, organizations, NGOs, foundations, associations can apply for grants, money to us and we support their projects. But we also try to build bridges and integrate free market and classical liberal libertarian society here because we notice that people sometimes don't talk to each other. We had, I think this is my examples that I am showing very often. Brian Kaplan was coming to Poland and one organization was publishing his books and the other invited him and they didn't know, like one organization didn't know about this visit. So we want to make sure that everyone knows when people like Brian Kaplan or some other, you know, US authors are coming here, but we would also like people to know about their project so they can promote uh, uh, each other and they can uh, maximize you know benefits why is there that disconnect then between what would you libertarian organizations i suppose you would call it would you or liberty orientated organizations in poland why is there a disconnect uh, i think uh, many of these groups are we can call semi-professional or volunteer based they just don't have 
also enough time to communicate with each other. Majority of people involved in liberty-oriented organizations in Poland, they have other jobs. You know, being in the organization is not their job. They do it for free, a volunteer basis. We are the exception. Like, I, I am paid here. Like, it's my job and my staff here that you met. These are also employees of the foundation. But uh, so we, we have resources to, to do these connections, also to invest in communication. Another observation was that there is a lot of great research, but uh, I the communication was not strong point of, of, of the liberty movement. So we would like to, to invest more in communication, not only traditional media, social media, but also speaking to politicians. It is why we decided to have office at the same street as Polish parliament to do lobbying for liberty, to promote uh, uh, liberty, rule of law, classical liberal values among politicians on the other side of the street. So when you um, fund uh, projects, is it just Polish projects that you're funding? Uh, at the moment, yes. We, we, we mostly focus on, on, on Polish projects. Uh, we are a bit like Atlas Network, which is the global network of free market-oriented groups, but just for Poland. So uh, we, we, we offer grants, but we try to do more. We don't only give money. I am very often involved later in the projects that they do. If they do conference, I speak there. If they write some research or report, and this is my area of interest, I try to contribute as well. We advise them in the area of communication. Uh, in the future, we hope also to do more trainings in the areas like communication or fundraising, which is very important for these groups. And we also try not to make them dependent on us. So we are encouraging to find also other sources of financing for their projects. So they don't build this dependency on just one donor. And give me a sense of the kind of projects. Uh, are we talking, like, yeah, give me a sense of, what was your favorite project, for example, or your, your, the one you're most excited or most interested in? I think something that is not very typical for Liberty Movement is the YouTube program. Uh, this is like the, the travel program. So the, the guy who is doing it, he's traveling around the world, but he's speaking about not only the architecture or tourist topics, but also about economic history of the countries and the sources of success of successes or failures. And we sponsored episodes about United Kingdom and they will be present soon. In what, what was his name out of interest? Uh, Wojciech Syryk. Uh, right. I, yeah. I've been in contact with him. Yeah. he. I, I, the problem, I wanted to interview him because it's a fascinating project. I, I've got a feeling his English isn't quite up is that right? I, 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 got, I spoke to someone and I thought maybe it wouldn't necessarily work because I think his English isn't technical enough for a conversation with a fluent English speaker. I don't know. But, but tell me about that project then, because um, here's the sense of it that I got. He's traveling around. Is it, is it, his, his program is about booming places around the world. Is that right? Successful places around the world and, and why that is. Is that... Does yes, yes, yes. And not only in Europe. I really liked his episodes about, about Botswana, for example. Uh, but he's looking at the places from the perspective of their economic successes and explain to the viewers uh, what were the sources. And usually, if country was successful, it was because of free market policies, opening to trade and open economic policies. And this is important because uh, he attracts people who are interested about, you know, going to Switzerland, Estonia or UK, they are looking for travel channels. And then in the meantime, they can also hear a bit about economic policy. So this is just one, one example. But of course, we also have very traditional projects like research projects. Today, actually, at the same time, there is a webinar of one of our partners and one big Polish newspaper about the project called pensions for freedom or off freedom, like to, how to reform Polish pension system to make it more sustainable uh, and uh, to uh, make it, you know, survive, to survive because with demographic conditions in Poland, we have aging population and not so many young people here. There will have, the, the reforms are needed to the pension system and they will propose some recommendations to, to politicians, we hope at some point. Politicians what, will listen. Well, what were they then out of interest? That's interesting. So tell me what pensions were and what pensions should be according to you, according to this. 
uh, one thing that we should do in Poland and uh, is to uh, equalize pension uh, age. We still have this re- weird discrimination of males. So females have 60 years uh, pension age and males 65. Actually, it should be different because uh, females are living longer if, if we want to discriminate. But I think we should agree on like just system where both genders have the same uh, pension age. And this is a problem for, for, for uh, women, actually, because if they retire with very, uh, very early, uh, the Polish system works like this. You accumulate some money on your account like it's not typical account these are like written records and then it is divided by by the average length of life and for women this period is very long if they retire at the age of 60 so their pension will be very low and some women say okay maybe in 61 62 i can survive with this little money maybe i can work something but this is pension forever so when you are 85 you also have this very little money from the government pension and maybe a small addition from private pension funds, this will be not enough to, 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 to survive. So we would like to increase the pension age, also to consolidate our private pillars, because there are very different like opportunities to, uh, to save uh, for this private pillar of the pension. But this creates chaos, like there are different systems, different rules, and we would like to make a clear system so that the person knows what is going on with the state, what should she or he invest in his future in private pension funds uh, to to create also more transparent system. Do you happen to know why women's pensions began begin earlier than men's pensions? What, why? How did that evolve? I think probably it's heritage of socialist approach towards women, maybe thinking that women are kind of weaker and should retire earlier. Most of the countries in the EU. Uh, have now equal equal age. What is more, Poland has the lowest uh, pension age for women, 60 years old. This is now the lowest uh, age in the EU. So, And we are not the wealthiest country in the EU, as you can imagine. So I don't think we can afford uh, so big burden for also taxpayers because we have something like minimum pension. If you don't save enough, you still receive minimum pension. So most of the women in the future will receive minimum pension, pension, because otherwise, without this minimum pension law, uh, their pension will be even lower. So uh, we, as all taxpayers, will have to subsidize these very small pensions of uh, a vast amount of, of women in Poland. Can we, uh, I want to go back to the previous project you were talking about, this film project, because like I say, I really wanted to talk to this guy about this project, because I thought it was really interesting. Um, but can I, I'm going to pick your brains on it. You, you know it relatively well, do you? Yeah. So describe to me one of the, the episodes, which was a, uh, a place that I probably don't know too much about and that was a, for, uh, that was a kind of economic success story, let's say. Uh, I think this episode about Botswana is very interesting because, first of all, not so many people in Poland and probably even in Europe know a lot about Botswana and it shows that of course it's not like typical liberal democratic free market policy of the European state but they were doing some opening in the economy they were doing some free market oriented reforms and then it allowed them to be quite successful country at in comparison to to the rest of Africa uh, which is I think important also to you know understand this comparison because sometimes we you know we forget uh, about we are thinking about utopias and not really about the real environment where countries operate and operating in africa is much more difficult than being the member of the european union here in 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 europe uh, but i think also the the project is important because uh, uh, it opens uh, topics related to free market to people out of free market bubble we support some projects that are really free market bubbles so the events that are attended by 90% of the attendees are free market followers already. And this is important to mobilize these people, to educate them even better, to stimulate their thinking in some direction. But we are now also looking for projects that are more like open in terms of potential uh, audience. So uh, something that can be interesting for people who don't read Hayek, Mises, Milton Friedman on day-to-day basis, but uh, might be attracted to our ideas through other tools like travel 
uh, documentaries. It's uh, he he's also planning more. Like I think uh, now we are waiting for the episodes about United Kingdom, so it will be about the Industrial Revolution, about the history, why Britain was very successful country economically for for many decades. Uh, he's also uh, planning another trip to Asia. I think the next plan is Singapore, for example, which is country in the top of economic freedom uh, rankings, uh, both done by Fraser Institute or Heritage Foundation. And this is, will be, I think, really also interesting story because Singapore is a very good case study where free market policies really work. So he's a libertarian himself, is he? Or have you... Yes, he he's, yeah he has very free market views. Apart from doing travel videos, he he has another channel where he does interviews with libertarians, with free market oriented politicians, with conservative politicians. So he's quite popular on YouTube on on, on both channels. So uh, that I like that um, you're saying that you need to reach out to people outside the free market bubble. And so, number one, how do you best do that? And number two. Give me an idea of other parts of society, culture or whatever that you feel that there is a good way to reach out to people that don't know anything mm -hmm. about this kind of stuff. Uh, I think that uh, libertarian, classical liberals in general can do better in reaching to some groups that are important but uh, still not attracted to our ideas. One uh, observation I have from, from attending a lot of events and conferences is that we hear a lot about projects to young people. So, you know, everyone wants to do uh, economic lessons to young people, economic comic books, uh, economic education for schools, for students. But we are forgetting about old people. Like, we are living, especially in Europe, in aging society. Uh, so I am still surprised there is no or I am not aware of an NGO that has like classical liberal libertarian values and specializes in doing projects to pensioners, like to people 60 plus. And I think there is like a great niche and these people will be substantial part of voters in their, they're already very big electoral group and they will be bigger. So I think what we should brainstorm really, and I don't have, some perfect solutions now is how to you know stimulate projects to reach these people uh, to to make sure that uh, uh, they also try to believe their ideas even if not for themselves these people are usually very concerned about the well-being of their children and grandchildren so maybe for this way they should be persuaded that they should not demand so much for example they if they demand much uh, higher you know pension provided by the government then someone has to be taxed and who will be taxed their children and grandchildren maybe don't they don't want their grandchildren to be taxed more so i think this is like one example another example i have in mind is uh, i think lgbt community it was captured i think by the left like a lot of uh, left-wing political parties say that they rep represent LGBT community, while I think classical liberals, libertarians, you know, they offer the same on, on the side of, you know, marriage or like well-being, but on the, uh, at the same time, they offer also our less regulations in economy, which is also important for these groups. Actually, in these groups, there are a lot of entrepreneurs or very entrepreneurial people. Uh, so I think there should be projects that promote liberty in this group. In Poland, important group that is also neglected is our Catholics. Uh, we are still very Catholic country, it's 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 drawing. It's the the, the support for the Catholic Church is falling. Uh, less and less people are attending church, but in comparison to the rest of the Europe, it's still much bigger. Uh, I heard about one project in Poland uh, of of the libertarian guy who was doing economic lessons for young priests, uh, but this was you know for very small group. I think we need maybe projects like this so that priests also know something about uh, the economy. Okay, so <clears throat> old people, um, you were just talking about like reaching out to old people. Um, I've got a couple of questions there. Firstly, um, how do old people feel about former Polish existence, you know, the former times of Poland currently? And in explaining that, what's the current sort of political spectrum in the country, you know, especially with regards to sort of lib classically liberal um, 
ideas? Old people feel a lot of nostalgia towards socialists. Part of the, of, of course, this is not a, a unique group. Like the, the, there are people with different views, but there, there is a big group of older generation which feels nostalgia. But I don't think it's necessarily about socialist policies. It's basically uh, about their youth. They were young when there was socialists, and you older people feel nostalgia towards the times when they were younger. Uh, at the moment in Poland, we have. Uh, the biggest party called Law and Justice, and they, they, uh, their electoral base are uh, also all older generation. They they do a lot of uh, privileges and additional benefits for for pensioners, especially before elections. Now we have discussion about thirteenth pension, fourteenth pension. I will not be surprised if there will be fifteenth pension this year because elections are coming in in the autumn. Uh, but. Uh, uh, what's so? What that party? What is their sort of? Uh, they they are the ruling party for this is their second term. They call themselves themselves uh, right wing conservatives, but they are you know conservatives and traditional in like the social views. But at the same time, they are, in my opinion, more left wing than some social democrats in Poland in economic policies. They did series of renationalization of the economy. They implemented new regulations, many new taxes, uh, and they don't really like uh, free markets. They criticize a lot Polish transformation. They say that we ruined the country, that Balcerowicz uh, is, uh, they blame Balcerowicz, who was Minister of Finance during transition, for everything bad happening even nowadays, that it's all his fault. And uh, the shock therapy was was bad, which is wrong when you look at numbers and data and facts. Like even World Bank is saying that Polish transition was example of success story of transition from socialist to free market. Do they are they doing that because they have such a, a, a user base of people of older people? Is it? Yes, they 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 strongest. You know, they are very strong uh, out of bigger cities. So. In Warsaw, for example, they don't have majority in the city council. The mayor of Warsaw is from the biggest opposition party civic platform. But in the countryside, in smaller towns and in eastern, southern Poland, which is more conservative also in terms of church going, uh, uh, some social views, they, they, they have strong support and also pensioners. And this is big group and growing in Poland. So this is the, the main like political party at the moment. Their biggest opposition party is Civic Platform. They have office on the other side of the street. As I mentioned, they are uh, their leader is Donald Tusk, who was the head of the European Council for for many years in the in the past, uh, and uh, they started as classical liberal parties party in 2005 for example their program was very liberal flat tax three times 15 percent deregulation privatization and then with every next elections they were moving from classical liberalism more towards center center left i would say they are very centrist party which means that they you know they they think about attracting everyone you know something good for pensioners something good for uh, younger people and so on uh, which works politically they were ruling this country for for two terms uh, we'll see how it will work in the these elections uh, I'm worried about something that we are observing now, which is kind of populist uh, uh, auction, you can say. So the ruling party is saying, oh, we'll give 500 zlotych to someone. And the opposition is saying, oh, but we'll give more, 100 zlotych more. And I think this is a very um, risky game for the opposition because the ruling party can always win this game. They don't care about you know future and sustainability of fiscal of of of, of fine public finance. They they want to win elections, and uh, I think the opposition should rather focus on presenting some alternative vision of 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 Poland. This is the the, the biggest opposition party civic platform. There are also some smaller opposition parties. We don't have at the moment a classical liberal party like typical classical liberal, which is uh, important. There is a small party called. Novoczesna, the modern, they were quite successful a few years ago. They had seven, eight, nine percent uh, support. Now they 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 are part of the coalition with the civic platform, uh, and we also have some other minor free market oriented groups, but without any big chances to uh, to to be in the parliament in the future. Do you see a future where classic liberalism rises to be a proper? 
another you know like a, a, a sort of competition to the big parties what is important is that uh, there are classical liberals inside big opposition parties in civic platform you can still find some classical liberals you can find classical liberals in some other groups so our hope for the future is that if opposition wins then maybe we can somehow unite and i don't mean creating you know new party but somehow create platform for cooperation for classical liberals from different parties inside the parliament maybe create some special parliamentary group that will work on deregulation plans on reform reforming pension system or uh, or uh, labor code uh, and there will be you know maybe 10 15 20 people with with classical liberal views but from different different political groups these elections are very specific in poland i think I'm really worried if the law and justice wins elections for the third time, it means that we'll move closer toward Hungarian model, where winning another elections by opposition would be much harder, where 90% of the media is captured by one political group, where uh, state intervention in some parts of the economy is even bigger. So I am not really happy about the opposition, but it's kind of, you know, uh, at least so- something better in my view for long-term like uh, growth in Poland and it also creates opportunity for thinking about new political parties if we create this um, if we if we stop this deterioration of institutional quality violations of the rule that are happening now it's interesting I've <clears throat> excuse me um, in talking to you know liberals and libertarians for this podcast around the world I've noticed there's almost two schools of thought with regards to how we affect change. There's the people that think you you do it from the inside out. And then there's the people that think you create a parallel system and people opt in from, so it sounds like you're a chain, you're a, a create change from within type of person. Is that fair to say? Yes, yes, yes. Like we, we, we want to be, you know, we want to influence uh, politics, media, business with our ideas, stimulate them and, uh, we still believe that you know uh, some classical liberal reforms are possible in this country. They happened in 1989. They happened later in late 90s. There were some reforms also uh, 10, 12, 15 years ago, and we still hope it can be achieved. Uh, I don't expect you know big classical liberal party that will win elections, but maybe small classical liberal party that will be necessary to create ruling coalitions and will push for for reforms. This is like a long-term plan that many liberals have here. So you don't see classical liberalism long-term as being a majority ever? I mean, I'm interested because it it does pose a few interesting questions. Mm. Are there enough people who would, you know, once they've heard these ideas, would they take them on, on board? I think it will be really difficult to create a classical liberal party winning the elections because, you know, we have people with different level of knowledge about, you know, consequences of economic policies and, uh, you know, educating them is sometimes just not possible. Like it will require too many resources that people don't have. Uh, so it will be really hard to to change minds of, you know, millions of people. Uh and I also think that if classical liberal party starts thinking about winning elections, that is, you know, gaining 30, 40%, then they may have to, you know, uh, change some of their ideas to make them less liberal and it will destroy the core like values of the party. So if I am, if, if I have like the, if I am the head of the classical liberal party, my thought will be, if we are above 10% of support, maybe we are doing something wrong. Uh, Isn't that the problem of the democratic system though, that, that it incentivizes this? I, I hear what you're saying. And I, I kind of agree that, um, um, you start off with good intentions, but then before you know it, you're trying to get as much market share as you can, and that means you change your policies. And you've already mentioned that the um, the original opposition party began life as liberal. It sounds like it's happened to them. Is that? Do you think is that what happened? Yes, yes, yes. They decided they want to start winning elections, and uh, you know uh, we can say that this is like the weakness of democracy. But I also don't think we have better system to 
solve problems, political problems at the big central level. So uh, I think we just have to work in this environment and be successful in the environment that we have. We also have so big state that is like moving back is really difficult, like uh, state in every aspect of our life. You know, many majority of the EU countries have uh, uh, public expenditures at the level of 40, 50 percent of GDP, which is really big. So one step back, like lowering it by two percentage points is will be big success. Uh, but uh, the problem is that we also created a lot of promises and expectations of people. And it now, you know, we promised someone to pay pension in 20 years. So if we one day have libertarian government, the question will be, okay, but should we keep these promises? Like someone, like it was contractual promise. Like someone said, if you pay contributions and taxes, then you receive pay pension like this. I don't think we should also, you know, break these promises. It will be really, you know, bad for the image of classical liberals and libertarians. So uh, if we have liberal government, then limiting the state will be very gradual process nowadays because of all of these commitments, expectations, promises that were made in the past. Talking of limiting the state, just before we started talking, you you mentioned a, um, um, a project that you know about, um, which was essentially a, a decentralizing Poland, as you described it. Can you just talk a little bit about that? You, you mentioned something about 16 regions and getting they're getting autonomy. Um, what, what was that? Uh, this is another example of project that we supported financially uh, called Decentralized Poland. And uh, the idea was that we have so polarized society and so many arguments about some issues. So maybe we should think about moving these arguments to the lower level. That means regions, not necessarily whole Poland. Uh, so the, the idea is to, at the central level, create the possibility for decentralization. Because nowadays, you know, in theory, we have we are decentralized countries, but the autonomy of the regions is very low. Most of the taxes are collected in these regions, then sent to tax office in Warsaw, and then money is given 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 back to them. So we would like the system in which a uh, substantial part of the money is not leaving the region but is staying there and there is bigger autonomy about tax system about regulations about all issues that generate controversies in public debate like you know drug policy uh, abortion lgbt rights uh, and so on uh, and uh, so so the whole idea was to show how legally do it uh, in terms of decentralization and enabling them to act and then the next step, and this will be published in the form of the book, uh, is to present a kind of perfect uh, region. So there will be a chapter about perfect classical liberal region, uh, where I'm co-author of this chapter, and uh, uh, this is one idea, but there will be also a chapter about perfect conservative region, about perfect progressive region, about perfect uh, Christian democratic region. So uh, there will be these you know, uh, case studies, what you can achieve if you have more autonomy and decentralization. And uh, uh, and I think this might be one solution to polarization and big you know, social conflicts that we have at the moment in Poland. Obviously, that my ears pricked up when you said that. Um, but how do you then implement it? You, you, you need to basically convince the state to do it. Is yes, right? we, we need uh, to convince the, the majority in the parliament on the other side of the street to, to do changes to many parts of Polish legislation to enable regions to be more decentralized. Also, the idea is to convert now in the Poland, we have two chambers of the parliament. So the, the, the most important chamber is called Sejm. It, it has 460 uh, MPs. And then we have uh, Senate, which is uh, uh, less important. It cannot block red legislation but uh, it uh, it assesses the legislation of the of the of the same but without any like strong veto power and the idea is to convert senate into kind of uh, regional chamber so uh, instead of having you know normal elections like today uh, make sure that these different regions are represented in in this you know 
chamber of regions uh, and they have also a stronger voice at the central level and they're also defenders of decentralization uh, in, in the future. Do you not think, I mean, my impression of the, you know, the 21st century is that we're moving towards centralization in, in many aspects of especially politics and you know, nation states. Is that, would you agree with that? Yes, I think uh, okay. this is the the problem, and it's also happening in Poland. When you look even at legislation, especially under the current government, actually, this is another problem I have with them. They they are very for centralization. They like to have power in Warsaw. Right, exactly. So obviously, my next question then is: what What's the incentive for a state to decentralize? <laughs> like, how do you how do you whisper in their ear, "Look, this will be good for you," uh, sort of? Because really, that's the only thing you can do in this situation is appeal to the authority to grant you permission to take some authority away from them, which seems counterintuitive, right? Um, not all politicians are for centralization. You can find also some followers of greater decentralization in Poland. But I think uh, we have also all these local communities and local politicians, which at the moment uh, uh, cannot do so much as they... Uh, could do with more decentralized systems. So uh, this is like important lobbying group, local politicians and local communities. And I think there is a, you know, I, I don't think uh, uh, this is something that will happen, you know, in one, two years, but uh, there might be pressure for decentralization because also of this polarization. I think presenting decentralization as a response to big polarization in Poland, to all these conflicts that, you know, people from Eastern Poland cannot talk to people from Western Poland because they have completely different views. Maybe we should tell them, okay, like, live as, as you want to live in your region and don't uh, tell, you know, make people in Eastern Poland uh, happy about their life and uh, don't disturb the ideas of uh, people in Western Poland. So this polarization you see in Poland, is that new? Or is this, does this go back, uh, you know, hundreds of years or whatever? It's it's quite old. Like, I think this regional uh, regional polarization uh, was visible in the previous elections, but it's growing. So the problem is that it's growing and uh, it's not now not only East versus West, but it's also big cities or biggest cities and smaller towns and countryside, uh, which is another big division. I think... We might also have stronger gender uh, divisions between younger and old, especially with this demography that older people may demand, you know, higher pensions, while younger people might not be so happy about paying higher taxes to fund these pensions. So there will be conflicts will be growing. So I see decentralization as the possibility to to resolve these social conflicts. And the other benefit of decentralization is experiments. You can experiment more with different approaches to to to, to policies, to local policies, so uh, and and to create you know things that are now not possible. Uh, in our chapter about Wielkopolska, which is the region in the west, uh, capital city is Poznań. Uh, this is the region just next to German uh, uh, border. Um, very, very, very close to to to, to Berlin, uh, we we uh, for example proposed a vast privatization of uh, land of assets, but uh, we kept some of the assets and convert them into non-profit uh, organizations, like uh, you have in US or UK. There are some you know theaters or or or, or, or some cultural institutions or universities that work as a non-profit organizations, so. Um, this legal uh, model is now not possible. It's not existing in Poland in terms of these cultural institutions, for example. But we decided, why not? Like, why not experiment with something something that works in some other countries? And why not privatize a lot of land or assets of the regional government? Now, I think central government will say, oh, you cannot do it. Like, we are not happy about it. Um, you mentioned the city-countryside divide, which... I've noticed, even in the, my life, that that's growing, that the void between these two sort of groups of people is growing. Um, I noticed I notice as well, I was looking through some of the things you've written last night, and you've written about people versus the elites. Um, do you think there's, like, why is, there, why is that such a thing these days? It's something that um, I notice is on a number of people's minds, and I think... 
something to do with the difference between the countryside and the cities is also part of that same um, <clears throat> divide, the inverted commas, people versus elites. What do you what do you think about that? I think this is very, you know, typical uh, division that is strengthened by populists in many countries. Uh, so they use this, you know, uh, elite versus people division just to stimulate kind of anger in the society and to create also conspiracy theory uh, theories around this elites rallying the state. The problem is that, uh, you know, we have uh, can't, we have party now in power, which was presenting this division before they win elections and now they have their own elite like they 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 have you know they they captured majority of state institutions in the we have a lot of uh, state-owned enterprises in poland and now the leadership of their enterprises are like members of the party uh, some colleagues of the party leaders uh, uh, they will never get this job at the private market you know uh, uh, with their skills and and experience, uh, but this is uh, new elite. So I think it's not about uh, you know the populists. Usually they don't want to uh, remove this division. They want to be part of the elite, like the, the new elite. Uh, but I I think this is something that was present with us for many years. It's it's nothing new. We just have to live with with it uh, and uh, and and present some you know attract people. Uh, uh, use other tools to attract people to non-populist, you know, policies and uh, economies. Yeah, so, so, I mean, it's it's real then. The the elite versus the people. You mentioned that people use it to get into power, and then they become an elite themselves. But it is a real thing, and I think there is a lot of distrust between your average, what you would call, I suppose, a blue-collar worker, and which often in the countryside you find more people that like that. And I and I think again, this works. Uh, better in big centralized system because if you have this discussion about elite and people at the local level you know you sometimes even know this elite because this elite is your local doctor your local lawyer your local entrepreneur and these are not so anonymous people in warsaw like uh, which uh, in the room full of uh, uh, cigars and whiskey are deciding about the future of the state these are elites that you know that you meet in your local uh, grocery shop or uh, uh, you go to the same park and uh, I think decentralization is another way to to also lower the level of anger on elites because you can go to this member of elite in your local community and say him to his face what you're not happy about it or he can respond to you yes uh, but a hundred percent I I totally agree with that what about the polarization that you currently see and the fact that it's getting worse um, do you think like the 21st century life has, has made it worse? Do you think the internet, for example, do you think social media, do you think all these kind of things, are they, is, is that a myth that they're accentuating this? Like, why are we heading towards this point of polarization? Why is it seem to be ramping up now, which we've all sort of acknowledged? Uh, I agree that the level of polarization is much bigger today and I think social media is one reason but I also think that we live in the best period of the human history ever so you know maybe polarization is a bit bigger than 30 years ago but uh, I am very happy that we have social media that we have new technology that now artificial intelligence is uh, developed and uh, a lot of good things may happen thanks to these new technologies so these are I can say little imperfections of our times but in, in general I think we should appreciate and this is what people actually do not appreciate that uh, uh, we live in so great times. I think this is not even problem of social media, but also of traditional media. You know, bad news is, is really a news and good news is not really interesting for the readers. So you hear about, you know, some very tragic uh, car accidents a lot in the media, but you don't read about millions of people that survived their trip by car to work or, or uh, family trip to the mountains or the seaside. Okay, then give me some some good news <laughs> from the um, from the uh, Economic Freedom Foundation. What, what Talk about some success. Give me some positive news about what you're doing. Um, I think uh, one success that is uh, very uh, important to mention is uh, that 
existence of the foundation is possible because of uh, entrepreneur who invest his money uh, in the foundation. And this is just one case study. Of course, Arkadiusz Mosh and his company Press Glass is very successful in glass production, but we have thousands of the success stories in Poland and they were enabled by Balcerowicz reforms, by shock therapy, by successful transition of 1989. Uh, in the website that was created by Civil Development Forum, uh, a think tank that I mentioned, uh, because the, the, the reforms by Balcerowicz were often called Balcerowicz plan. But uh, we also added another sentence that it was 38 millions of little plans. 38 millions is population of Poland because after end of socialism, finally people were able to have their own plans for life. Like they sometimes they failed, sometimes they succeeded, but at least they were deciding about their future and not the government or central planners. And uh, so, so I think thanks to growing economy, thanks to successful entrepreneurs, we will see also more uh, resources for activities like our foundation, for other groups. Uh, I see the professionalization of the movement or liberty movement in Poland. I started working in this business 12 years ago. And after 12, 12 years, budgets are bigger. Uh, there are more people involved. We are more visible in social media. Uh, actually, you know, I read a lot about, uh, which is non, uh, sometimes the left is writing, this is the end of neoliberalism, of liberalism, the neoliberalism is dying, but they write it every year. Like with COVID-19, we are, we are dying with war in Ukraine. We are dying. We are dying all the time and they're repeating that we are dying. So we are not really dying. We, we, we never, we never died. And then I, in, especially in Poland, I often hear, you know, when left is criticizing some economic policies, they say, oh, it's neo neoliberal approach to, to to policies so so they they see a lot of influences of previous liberal reforms in poland in the political system which is i think good like we still have a lot of uh, uh, liberal policies inside the system and they survive over 30 years i hope they will uh, survive uh, more but uh, we just started our activities i hope also to uh, observe uh, small success stories of, of our partners. Uh, uh, we are after the first grant competition, so actually we, we summarized our first round of grants recently. We just started another round of uh, grant program uh, and uh, I hope there will be like small successes uh, more visible in the future. Can you, just for the sake of clarity here, and this is something I want to know, I want to hear from, from you, what do you? How do you distinguish between classical liberal, classical liberalism and libertarianism? What would you say are the major differences, according to you? Uh, I, I I call myself classical liberal because I am not completely against the state. I don't think we should have zero government or uh, zero public policy. I think uh, more about the limited government. So the state that is present in some areas of our life, like security, justice system, uh, international relations, maybe some minor social welfare state, but for people who really need it, not giving transfers to, to, to wealthy people or middle class, which is, I think, pointless, but politically attractive, of course. Uh, uh, and uh, for me, libertarians, at least from the Polish perspective, a lot of them would like to uh, abandon the state uh, and uh, make you know everything private which i think is attractive idea but we still don't know how to we know how to do you know uh, how private sectors work really well in you know uh, shops uh, trade some other issues but we still i'm still not sure about private solutions in issues like police or security i know there are there are concepts how to do this but it's a long-term process. We should experiment definitely, but uh, at the moment, I think we should. Uh, our target should be smaller state, not zero state. What, so, what would your major contention with, say, anarcho-capitalism be? The 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 the, no, the 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 far end of the of the liber, of the libertarian my spectrum. First is that it's because it's very radical. It's really hard to promote and implement. And as I said in the past, you know, for me, the little victory will be if we have, you know, 
taxation lower by one percentage point it will be like very big success because we have so big taxation so big burden of the government in many areas of our life so when i hear from some libertarians oh let's have zero income tax it sounds great but you know we have uh, we we then they should also show which expenditures we lower which promises will not keep to pensioners to you know teachers to other people working in the public sector so i think the strategy of classical liberalism where you try to lower government uh, intervention step by step is much more um, has much bigger potential for success than doing you know events and uh, and research about zero government and moving from 35% of gdp to zero in a year is there any do you think there's any point in that end of the spectrum do you think even holding even holding those ideas in place that maybe there could be um, uh, I, I don't want to say a utopia but uh, a world in which for example there is zero taxation do you think there's any purpose in people in, in people holding those ideas I think utopias are sometimes good uh, good utopias are good you know there were also socialist and communist utopias and I don't think they were used for a good purpose actually many people were killed because of these utopias and I never heard about someone killed because of libertarian utopia uh, so uh, so uh, I think it's good that there are some people that present this vision you know this is some kind of uh, holy grail some ideal that we may look at but uh, uh, but uh, going back sorry to in going back to your decentralized poland uh, idea do you think it would be possible to have um these kind of ideas in a decentralized way within poland so you could have areas where that these kind of more i don't know i don't like calling them extreme ideas i don't think they're extreme they're more unlikely i don't know yeah. how to no, explain. i i think uh, they they still would be very different to, difficult to implement i mean moving to a completely you know private approach to everything and th there is another reason for this and this is i think also difference between me and some libertarians i also believe in international cooperation like we live in a global world we live in the world where there is russia on our borders which invaded ukraine and is a threat to security of also poland and the baltic states uh, and some other countries in the region so we need this international cooperation and uh, i understand this is unperfect but i don't think for poland and other countries there is better solution for example than european union and so if you are in the european union you even cannot lower taxes uh, lower than 15 percent vit for example you have some uh, global like restrictions but I, I i i believe that we need this platform of global cooperation because we don't live in the world of you know friendly uh, countries there was, was this conception of you know europe of luxembourg so i saw these maps of you know europe divided into 1000 you know very little states or 500 very little states but the problem is that uh, if we divide europe like peaceful part of europe and europe that wants liberal democracy free market policies or like uh, peaceful approach towards you know uh, international relations we still have you know countries like russia or china with dictatorships authoritarian governments and for countries like this if they are big and strong it will be much easier to play these little diplomatic games with you know let's say 100 of these countries than to do some kind of cooperation with stronger partner partner like nato or united uh, or or, or uh, european union so so i am also believer in international cooperation because it's necessary we live in the global world and it for me you see i find i i my mind doesn't sit well with the notion that on one hand i would i'm like interested in a decentralized governance model but on the other hand i think that the eu would be, then be a good thing is they are they are they in contrast to each other those two ideas no if, i think uh, uh there are many uh, you know for for poland for, for first of all for poland joining the european union was decent was uh, deregulation in many aspects to 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 make our legal system similar to the eu we had to the do some legal changes that were actually uh, deregulating the economy because it was so over regulated after 
40 plus years of socialism so uh, and i also think that you know single market is something really important should be strengthened and uh, there should be even more freedom in terms of trade there should be more trade openness outside of the eu uh, but uh, I, I i i know some libertarians and free market people in Poland who say oh like let's destroy the eu or let's don't even do anything with this uh uh, quasi-socialist uh, union of European countries but uh, my approach is that we should actually be there do something, be active you know, uh, think about uh, or, or work with European classical liberal parties parties in the European Parliament EU institutions and don't say oh this is like a monster and you should, should not touch it so uh, I think we should think about EU reforms and not destruction mm. It's a difficult one you know, I, I I hear what you're saying, but I I'm, I can't help thinking that, um, you know, becoming part of a large centralized organization is 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 also dangerous. And I hear that you you said that um, from the so from socialism to the EU was a good move for Poland, say. But it's almost I would think of that as out the frying pan into the fire, as we say. We have an expression, you know, it's it's it was better, but it, it's not necessarily a good solution overall. If you could have chosen any solution, let's say, I think uh, when you look at the realistic solutions, this was the best solution. There is no better alternative. And uh, what is also important that is to understand that the biggest benefit of Poland and many other countries in this region. Uh, from being in the EU is uh, single market, uh, our freedoms of moving goods, services, capital, people through the borders. And it's many, many times more than EU subsidies. In, it, this is actually the problem that many people in Poland believe that the biggest benefit are these subsidies that we receive for highways, uh, theaters, museums, uh, some other infrastructure. But this is not true when you do calculations. Uh, these benefits from trade and trade openness are much, much, much bigger. So even if we become net contributor to the EU, there will be this point when Polish GDP will be uh, higher and we'll have to pay more than subsidies that are... Uh, it's It will be still beneficial to be in the EU, but EU should and some EU followers should also invest more in presenting these other benefits because maybe people will say, okay, now we are paying more, why should we be in the EU? And this bureaucracy, some regulations, I think this is like necessary cost of maintaining the single market. We cannot have one without the other. What's your, what would be your long-term view of something like the EU then? How would you, how would you like to see it evolve or devolve, let's say? I think, you know, I, I see some directions for reforms. First of all, we should uh, limit some expenditures, especially on the uh, common agricultural policy. This is bad for agriculture and it's bad for environment. And this is uh, something that is, uh, there is strong lobby for this policy. And this is one of the biggest component of the EU budget, but this should be reformed or uh, or removed totally we should also think about bigger trade openness of the eu out of the eu so we should return to discussion about free trade uh, cooperation with united states there is already deal with canada we should uh, build this you know connection at least in the uh, we can say western world so uh, stronger trade connections uh, and also enable countries to experiment more, so lower the burden of regulations that are produced in Brussels. But I think they are often exaggerated uh, when in Poland some people say, oh, this policy we have because of the Brussels uh, uh, regulations. Sometimes we have something called gold plating, which means that local politicians are adding a lot of regulations to EU directives, and then they blame Brussels for these regulations. We have, it, for example, with e-cigarettes. Like uh, the 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 legals, the the regulations here are much stronger than what is required uh, by the EU directive. But the politicians were saying, "Oh, the EU is forcing us to do this." And then when you are looking at the 
real, like comparing what is needed and what was done, uh, the local politicians did more. They used the opportunity to to regulate because uh, uh, of the EU directive, but uh, the it was mostly their local work, their, dom- their domestic regulations. I, I kind of asked this question earlier, but maybe we could clarify, you know, is there any merit in that idea that it's better to actually not have the EU at all? Like, uh, you know, you're making the best of a, of a bad system at the moment, in a way. Wouldn't it be better just to, to sort of get rid of it completely and, and do something else? Or decentralise it, as I would see it. I would see that as a decentralising move, would be to remove the central body of the EU and, and, and have more autonomy amongst the, the, the former constituents. Mm-hmm. Uh- I, I don't I don't see EU as uh, something so 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 bad like uh, I think there are some good things about the EU and this is for example the single market and uh, uh, and I don't believe the alternative is like free trade in Europe without uh, uh, the European Union which is necessary for existence of the single market uh, I think we'll have trade wars between European countries created by some, some probably sometimes some stupid you know activity one country decides to implement one tariff because there is some electoral cycle to uh, and then the other responds with something else and then we have this you know explosion of uh, uh, trade uh, conflicts inside Europe so uh, I think uh, of course we are now losing because of uh, tariffs and some trade barriers that are on the outside borders of the EU uh, but we are benefiting a lot from this free trade inside the EU. I would like to see more trade openness towards other countries. Of course, I also, you know, it's maybe it's another reason why, why I don't regard myself a libertarian, because uh, it's not so easy when we think about uh, trade issues. If, uh, you know, if you produce something and you exploit children to do this, and because of this, you can produce cheaper than clove producer doing the same thing in Poland or or Czech Republic should it be completely free to open or maybe it should be it should have like a big mark that you know on the uh, on the on the shell that this was produced by children exploitation uh, I'm not so sure about you know complete free trade I think there might be still some control if there are countries with uh, with uh, which exploit environment in a uh, way that is not possible in the EU and is ruining this 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 region. So this is not so like easy solution. I I I, I used to be like full uh, open border supporter, but then I started thinking about a lot of something that in economics called negative externalities created by business activities. And of course, I am not happy if we have over-regulation of, on these issues, which is happening in the EU, but at the same time, zero regulation on polluting local river, I don't think it's a good. Like this river, it's, this is violating the freedom of other people that are using this river. And if someone is having a business in, let's say, some Asian country, which is polluting a lot uh, uh, its neighborhood and harming and lim- limiting liberty of other people because of this pollution, and then is competing with companies that have to maintain all these EU or international standards that are present in EU. I don't think it's like a fair competition, and we should think about some, some you know, ideas how to equalize this. Uh, uh, so uh, this should be, you know, we should have it in mind when discussing complete open border uh, solutions for trade. I'm for very open borders for people. I think here restrictions should be much smaller also in the EU. It's a shame we've only, <clears throat> sorry, I said it's a shame we've just started talking about this because I know we've got to finish in two minutes and I, I, I've just got so many new questions now, but maybe we'll have that for another time because I know you have another appointment um, coming up straight after this. Um, but I'll finish on... Thanks for talking anyway. And, and I'll, I'll finish with one question. It's a question we ask everyone on our podcast. Um, it's a, a, um, I would like you to imagine you have a year-long sabbatical where money is no object. You're, you're, you, have, you have an unlimited budget to play with and you don't have to worry for one year. What would you do in that year? I think I will travel a lot uh, to places that were visited by 
this YouTube uh, author uh, that uh, succeeded because of uh, economic policies, but also to places of failure. I would love to go to places maybe like Cuba or even North Korea to see with my eyes how bad economic situation is there and uh, later you know spread these messages after I am back from this sabbatical so I, I love traveling in general so I think I will just do it for the whole year so that would be a personal that would be for your own understanding would it be or are you, are you imagining that you would then like to take everything you'd learnt and package it up in a film or I don't know something like that yeah I think I think I would definitely use this knowledge but uh, I also have a lot of fun by just exploring other cultures cuisines and uh, uh, and countries so uh, uh, I think this will be a lot of pleasure but also very productive activity and that can be used later to to speak about you know what really works in terms of successful policies and what doesn't work i would definitely uh, would like to visit honduras and this uh, uh, projects that are uh, done there the free cities project hmm. well thank you very much Merrick, for talking um thanks for inviting us to your beautiful um, offices here as well and um, good luck with everything you're doing thank you mm-hmm.